You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey folks, welcome to a special bonus episode of the Projection Booth. This is the rest of the interview with Layla Nabulsi. I split this off because it kind of relates a little bit more to a few previous episodes that we've done, such as Nothing Lasts Forever, as well as the Hunter S. Thompson extravaganza we did a few years ago, where we talked about Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, The Rum Diary, Where the Buffalo Roam, etc. Be sure to check out the rest of her interview over on our Blues Brothers episode. Enjoy. How did you meet Hunter Thompson? I met him in Belushi's dressing room. John and Danny had gone on a road trip first, and they did an article for Rolling Stone of their road trip or whatever. And Judy and I outfitted this whole blues mobile for them. This was kind of before the blues, well, around the, well, I don't know, when it, I can't tell anymore what happened. It all seemed to happen in, you know, so in one year, but I keep thinking it happened over several years. But anyway, they met him there, and I had no idea. I mean, I, I don't know if we read Fear and Loathing. We weren't, I wasn't that aware of him or you know so i thought they said oh they met this southern writer and they went to colorado and i just pictured truman capote or something i don't know what they were talking about (laughs) and then one night at the show john said could you bring me before between dress and air before i got down there judy was out of town or something he said bring me this jacket and i ran down there and and then i walked into the dressing room and there was this guy lying on his couch it was a tiny room and i had no idea who it was but i thought Oh, whoops, I don't know. I'm going to love this person or hate them. And it could have been anybody. could have been the dealer, for all I know. I mean, in those days, anybody could be there, you know? And then John liked to do this thing that he liked to introduce me to people, like, for fun. And he, and he went, oh, Layla Nabulsi, Hunter Thompson, Hunter Thompson, Layla Nabulsi. So it was like that. And the rest was history. How many years did you end up working with Hunter? Well, I lived with him. I, we were engaged. I lived with him for about five years. But I worked with him for 20-something, more than 20, more almost 30 years. I mean, from the minute I met him till he died, we were, you know, we did the film and, and other things even after we weren't formally together like that. So I was curious how you got involved with uh, Nothing Lasts Forever. Well, that was Schiller's movie. I had worked with Tom, and John had died. And so we were all in New York. I was living with Hunter at the time, but I went back to New York and I was kind of there for a while staying with Judy. And it was just a nightmare. That whole time period was really fraught. And and Schiller was talking about making this movie. And so he kind of pulled me back in. And so for something to do while we were, I was kind of wandering around. I mean, we just ended up it actually happened. And so I went through the whole process of the script and development and casting and doing everything I would do with Schiller. And then the film started. And then halfway through, I just, I, I feel bad about it. I don't know. It was like, I should have stayed for the, for the whole thing. But at the time, because of John dying and then and living with Hunter and Hunter was kind of like, are you coming home? Or And I was pretty fraught and I, so I left, I went home, I left sort of, but I mean, I felt like I set it all up and everything. So, and then I, I kind of came back a little bit during the editing and, and when it came out or tried to come out, didn't come out. So then later I came back to New York after I kind of, Hunter and I split up a little bit and 85, 86, Lauren was, was the first year Lauren came back to the show and I was back in New York. I was staying with Judy and I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing and I wandered up to Broadway video and Lauren was there and we started talking and 
And he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about doing the show. And I went, really? And we started talking about it. And then we went to dinner one night and talked about it. I don't know why he was talking to me, but anyway. And then, and I was like, well, I guess you could do it. You know, we were just sort of talking about it. And then, and then he offered me to be a producer on the show. And I was like, okay. So I did that, 85, 86. No, I had done Prissy's Honor. Was that before? Yeah, maybe Prissy's Honor was before. I can't remember now. Yeah, I think Prince's Honor came out in 85, and then I am pretty sure you get credits on SNL right around that same time, 85 or 86. Yeah, Prince's Honor was first. Then I went back to SNL. So Prince's Honor was, because I had just come back to New York, I, I was literally sleeping on Judy's couch at 9th Street. Well, you know, she had a pretty nice setup there, but everything was just hard, you know, because I loved Hunter and... John had died, and there was just a lot going on. And Judy, it was about a year after John had died. No, more, a little more. I knew Jack and Angelica from, Jack Nicholson and Angelica is from Aspen. And I was very good friends with Angelica. She was kind of my best friend from Colorado from when I lived in in Aspen with Hunter, because Jack had a house there, and she would come up there, and we got to know each other, and we became really good friends. And, And then Bodie Boatwright, I knew her because she was on Nothing Lasts Forever. And she knew John Foreman very well. And so John Foreman said, I'm doing this movie with Jack and Angelica, Prissy's Honor. We're coming to New York. I need somebody to help me find stuff and I guess be sort of like an assistant or something. And she was like, oh, you should meet Layla. And then so we met and we laughed like our, I mean, he was my mentor as a producer for sure. I mean, John Foreman was the best class act. So that's how it happened. We ran around one day looking at, I think, apartments for John Houston or something, but we ended up laughing hysterically. And then I learned a lot from him. He was like major. And we went through the whole movie, which was one of those movies that was kind of a love fest. It was one of those great experiences, you know, that you have once in a blue moon and everybody gets bonded and, you know, went through it with Jack and Angelica and that was fun. And, and we already, and we had, um, all these mafioso types in New York that were feeding us. We all gained like 20 pounds, you know, they were like cooking in Jack's trailer all day. Like, you know, it was like, oh, Tommy Barada and all these guys from Mary Lou's remember Mary Lou's, but Mary Lou's was on ninth street down the street from Judy's townhouse. And so since I knew those guys, okay, I knew those guys from Aspen. Okay. Tommy Barada and a few of those other guys. And he had this restaurant, Mary Lou's. Let me tell you something. Mary Lou's kept me alive for the before Prissy's Honor. I felt like I was doing pre-production. I was doing all the <laughs> pre-production work for about a, you know, a few months before we actually did it because I had no money when I had left Hunter and he wouldn't give me any. And so I would go to Mary Lou's and, and Tommy Verrata would give me dinner for free. So then they all came on the movie. So it was I. So I kind of had already done a lot of pre-production. So. It was great performing because I knew everybody and I, and then he taught me a lot. He called, you know, he was great. He called me the little general. He always strikes me as somebody that just has personality for days. Oh, John Houston was fantastic. Yeah, he was great. He was fun. He liked to gossip in the morning. He'd say to me, honey, come over here. Yeah, he'd go, what's going on? <laughs> what's going What's going on? I go, well, you don't know what Kathleen Turner did last night. <laughs> We'd have a good old gossip fest about the crew and people. Yeah, he was great. I loved him. He was so cool. I'm very grateful. I've been really lucky. And also, I think 
willing to work hard because it's not, you know, obviously, unless you're willing to work. And I was always good with people. I'm a good communicator. And I didn't know that that was a talent, but I, you know what I mean? It sort of evolved into that. I was at ease in life when a lot of performers, you know, are at ease on the stage, but not in life, you know, but I could keep it all going. So I'm, I was really lucky because I got to do a lot of fun stuff, but we met in those days. I don't know if for some reason it's so different now. It's just, or maybe I was just so young that I was a worshiper of creativity. So I just did it because I loved doing it. You know, I didn't care. I didn't make any money. I never was good at like, Oh, give me a percentage of this or that. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like, Hey, if I've got enough to get through and go to the next thing. Can you tell me how the Fear and Loathing movie came about and how you got involved with that? What was your relationship like with uh, Terry Gilliam? It took me two or three years to get the rights figured out because Hunter had sold them in perpetuity in 1972 or something. And I sort of wrangled them back, or at least with options and stuff like that. And then it took me like 10 years to get that movie made. And basically the short form of that is, it wasn't the right time in the 80s. You know, it was the Just Say No era. Nobody was going to make a movie. It wasn't really until Gus Van Zandt did Drugstore Cowboy, actually, that kind of opened it up a bit. The great thing was it gave me a, a kind of great calling card to, to talk to everybody. And I did. I, I talked to so many directors and actors and people and mostly directors. I kept looking for the right director. And I had approached Terry Gilliam and he had turned me down. He said he was too busy at the time. As years marched on, you know, I had originally thought, oh, it'd be great if it was starring, you know, John and Danny were supposed to do it with Martin Scorsese. Belushi and Ackroyd were supposed to do Fear and Loathing with Martin Scorsese in 1977 or eight or whatever it was. And the deal fell apart. Then I had this idea of like, what about Jack Nicholson and Marlon Brando? <laughs> and that didn't happen. And then we went through different, I talked to John Malkovich and I went through so many different people like, but, and looking for the right director and it just never, it, it just didn't happen. And meanwhile, sort of messing around with the script and, and, you know, then I would put it down and do something else because it would just sort of, you know, there was nothing happening and I would be like, oh, okay. And then I thought I have to go out to LA and live there to get this movie done. And I just sort of made it. I left New York and went to LA and that was my goal. And I was like, I'm not going to leave till this is done. And then Johnny Depp, you know, Hunter had met Johnny and he asked me to go meet with Johnny. And I went and met with Johnny Depp and I thought, well, he's not as tall as Hunter. And it's kind of like, you can imagine looking at him like, really? I don't know. Really? And then, and then, but of course, when I met him, his, his charm is like so fantastic. You know, he can, you, you know, you want to do any, you want to give him anything he wants. I realized that he had the same eyes as Hunter, you know, these sort of brown, like people didn't realize Hunter had this soft core, you know, and they were both from Kentucky. And I thought, oh, well, he'll get that part of it. He'll be able to portray something else that not the, just the cartoon, what you think. And I had already seen Benicio at a party somewhere or something. And I thought, oh, that guy, would, you know, I didn't even know who he was. I was like, that guy, who's that guy, you know? And then it went through another, it, 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 it was a very difficult movie to get made and went through a few bits and starts. And, and we went back to Terry Gilliam and, and then finally he said yes. And suddenly we were making a movie and then suddenly it was all happening very fast. <laughs> Terry is like, He's a fantastic visualist. And I really, I wanted a visualist. You know, I knew that it, it needed that. I mean, we may differ in our perceptions of comedy, you know, in some ways. 
but I think he did a great job. And I think uh, we had some, a few fights about stuff. And but he told a, a mutual friend of ours that that I was always right. <laughs> he never told me that. But <laughs> he's not easy. You know, he likes to cre- he creates a lot of chaos, but that's okay. There was a lot of chaos anyway, and it was fear and loathing. And I knew that that was going to whip us around anyway. And he didn't tell me this till later that he had this thing that he he wanted to make see if he could make a movie in a year from start to finish and edit it. And of course, he did it on a much lower budget than he was used to. And that's what he did, which I was a little bit up. I mean, I I wish that he had we'd waited a little bit on some of the editing, but it's okay. We got into Cannes and we did all that. I saw it recently. I hadn't seen it for a long time. And I saw, I mean, 20 years. I can't believe it. It was 20 years ago. We did a wretched, we did a 20 year anniversary party at USC and we showed the film and I did a, an archive exhibition. I laughed through the whole thing. And I thought, this is fucking funny. And, <laughs> you know, Time wears away some of your resentments, you know, but if the thing is like you look at it and, you, and you, some things don't hold up, you know, some things don't last or they don't, they're not funny anymore or, you know, they're dated or something. There's something about that movie that it just doesn't really date. It's just, I don't know. It's cool. I think that I'm so grateful for that, you know, because when it came out, it was a dismal failure, you know. So. Do I remember right? Was Alex Cox involved with that somehow? He was hired against my will by Rhino. They had a problem at one point where they were, there was, they were going to run out of their option that I'd given them. And, you know, they brought Alex Cox to the table against my wishes. And then I tried to, I didn't have Johnny yet. So I was trying to work with him and he was just unbearable. And I think he thought I was working against him, but I wasn't. I mean, he literally hung himself. I didn't, I didn't tell anybody you know, how bad it was. And I figured he's going to, they're going to find out. And, and they did. And, um, and when I got Johnny to sign on, you know, it changed the, the, stru- the power structure, which Alex didn't like, but it was sort of like, Hey dude, you know, you're now you're doing a Johnny Depp movie and he still was a pain in the ass. You know, he's, he's very self-destructive. I think, you know, he's not very nice to women either. So there you go. Now he decided he didn't like he, that. I was his enemy when I was like, you know, the person he should have, you know, really leaned on or at least allowed to help him. He he didn't like that. And meanwhile, he wrote a script that like we didn't like and there was problems with it. And I knew Hunter wasn't going to like certain things about it. And we kept telling him if he just changed this and that's all he had to do. And he probably could have kept the movie and he refused to do it. And then then we shut down. It was like over Christmas, I think. And we had no director. We had sort of a time schedule, but we really didn't have anything. We had Johnny coming on board. So I had we had to find a director. And, and meanwhile, Benicio and I rewrote the script. We gave that script, the Gonzo Papers, we called it, to Terry. There was a whole fight with that whole thing about who wrote the script. But anyway, I don't care. But, we, you know, Benicio and I wrote the script. Then we gave it to Terry. Then Terry changed it, you know, did something with the ending. And that was fine with me. And it was fine. On we go. That is a bonding movie as well. You know, one of those once in a lifetime. In fact, that's what I told Johnny when he was trying to decide if he was going to do it. I said, okay, by the end of the day of wrangling on the phone, I was like, you know what? Okay, here's the thing. I'm not going to tell you you're going to make money or that it's going to be a hit movie. It's going to do well. I have no idea. I said, but I'll tell you one thing. If you don't do it, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. (laughs) 
it definitely seems like that movie changed his life. I mean, to see like uh, the Rum Diaries and then even like uh, Rango. I mean, it feels so much like Rango was a, a an homage to to Hunter. That was a bromance made in heaven, you know, Johnny and Hunter. I mean, they're two Kentucky boys. And for someone like Johnny to give it over, because there's no one else in the room. When Hunter was there, it didn't matter what movie star you were. Hunter was really the star because <laughs> he just had this incredible personality and charisma. And he was smarter than anyone in the room and more fun than anyone in the room. So, you know, they would they would come to him. You know, they wanted to hang out with him, you know, so. Johnny was like, was his road manager for a while. They did a couple of gigs, you know, funny stuff. And, you know, I'm sure he got a kick out of all that. So, yeah, they had a lot of fun together. And, um, yeah, and it's hard not to love either one of them. They're both lovable. But Johnny was the one, you know, Johnny was the one who, at the end of the day, you know, when I knew what Hunter wanted for his memorial and, and the monument, and I thought, fuck, how am I going to get people to pay for this? You know, I thought I was going to have to go around and, beg and borrow from everybody, you know? And, the day, you know, Johnny called me, of course, that day, well, that night that Hunter died, but he said, come over tomorrow. And I went the next day and he said, okay, tell me, what is this thing? I said, it's on the video of the, it's on the, that piece of where he talks about it when he went to Vegas at one point a long time ago. And we, and then anyway, he, we, we watched it where Hunter describes what he wanted and all this stuff. And then Johnny says, and I was sobbing hysterically. And Johnny says, okay, well, we're going to do it. I went, what? He goes, we're going to do it. And I said, well, it's going to cost a pretty penny. I mean, he goes, I know. And I said, well, it's a good thing Pirates has been good to you. <laughs> and he never, he never wavered. God bless him. I mean, he is really a true blue person, you know, and um, I'll never forget that, you know, how he just took that on because he could and he did it and he did it beautifully. I mean, perfectly gorgeous, like no expense spared. It was beautiful. It was, and, and, and you know, we're going to put the monument back up sometime, at some point. So that'll be fun. It's 150 feet high. God bless him. And then he bought, you know, the archives to house them and archive them and keep them and stored, stored properly when none of us could afford to do that. He is the hero of the story of that part of it. When we do the Hunter S. Thompson Institute, then we'll hopefully we can house everything and make it more available to people. And we're going to try to figure all that out at some point soon, hopefully. But COVID just got in our way. So I don't know. I think you could never make that movie now. You know, like we, we were independent and they had no idea what we were doing. And when, you, when Terry came on, Universal came in and gave us, doubled the budget for us. But it was a negative pickup. We were already running. So they were like, okay, you know, whatever. It's Terry Gilliam. Johnny's in it. But Johnny wasn't as big as he is now. He hadn't done pilots or any of that stuff, you know? And so just on the strength of a little bit of it, they were like, okay. But we were already, they had no say. They just were going to see it after it was done. <laughs> and they, they kind of freaked out. But it was like, <laughs> but, um, and unfortunately, I don't think they marketed it right, and they brought it out against Godzilla. You know, it was a whole big mess in a way. But the good news is, it's it's earned its it's a cult classic. When at the time when it came out, everyone was like kind of mean to us, you know. But that's okay. What are you working on these days? Well, I'm working on the live show of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, a Rock and Roll Circus. Yeah, that they would have opened this fall if we didn't have you know, COVID nightmare. So as soon as we can have a live audience happily and safely, we're ready to go. 
you know, I've, I've developed it. It's taken me a long time. It was something that Hunter and I talked about a long time ago that we wanted to do for Vegas, but well, maybe we'll start it in LA and we'll see where it ends up because I have bigger plans for the Hunter S. Thompson Institute and all kinds of things, but we have to get the show up and running first. So, you know, we'll do that. And, yeah. And I've written a script that I might do someday. And, you know, I'm always working on, I did a, a record for um, Standing Rock when that was happening at uh, Capitol Records with Don Waz. And I mean, I love the music stuff. I really, it's funny. I, I should have probably had a career in, in the music business, I think, when looking back on it now. But, you know, because I, I, I think the music has been the thread and the inspiration all along, or inspiration is not a good word, but as Hunter would say, fuel, you know, the fuel. It's, I need the music. So been very lucky to stay. And, and when I'm doing this film uh, loving live show, we're, we're going to have a band, a live band, and, you know, it's going to be like a rock and roll circus. There's going to be a lot of music. And, and that's, that's, that part excites me the most. You know? <laughs> Things I ain't 